Digging into the book of Colossians this morning. The book of Colossians. This may seem weird or whatever, but I want to sing a verse of a song for you. I was... We were driving home from spending some time with and having dinner with Mary. And this song, this song is a song my grandmother used to sing, and it hit me. And I sang this song all the way home. I'd sing part of the words because, you know, I don't know all the words to anything. I would sing the words I could remember my grandmother singing. But, and I'd fill in with la, 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 anything that uh, I didn't know. But there's an old hymn. Matter of fact, I, I look, it's not in our book. You have to have the red book with the shape notes. The shape notes have a reason, Mary, I'm just saying. But the words go like this. I have heard of a land on a faraway strand is a beautiful home of the soul. Built by Jesus' own high, where we never shall die. Tis a land where we'll never grow old. Never grow old. Never grow old. Tis a land where we'll never grow old, never grow old, never grow old, tis a land where we'll never grow old, is when our work here is done, and the life's crown is won. And our troubles and trials are o'er. All our sorrow will end. And our voices will blend with our loved ones who've gone on before. We'll never grow old, never grow old in a land where We'll never grow old, never grow old, never grow old, in a land where we'll never grow old. You looking forward to that? Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes it just, sometimes it seems like the pressure just mounts and mounts. That God gives us a glimmer of this hope, whether it be through a testimony or through a song. And that song is just rang in my head. Every, I've been singing it all weekend. Never. Sounds like over. She's like, what are you singing over? Grow old. Man, I'm just looking forward to that day. It's amazing what our testimonies can do. Because I don't know what caused the writer of that song to write it. But I bet you it was something like we have felt. 
I bet you it's something like we were going through, something that, you know what, we've, we've lost people that we love and times are hard and we look and it's just, I don't know, remember a year where so many people have died. But Paul said that we don't sorrow like other people do. Part of that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because as he is alive, we also shall be raised. And we know that for those who die in Christ, it's just, it's a time of separation, but we'll soon be together. But not only that, we don't sorrow like others do, simply because the story's not ended. That there's still, God still works in the hearts of those who are here. And I look forward to the day of seeing loved ones and being reunited. But until then, until then, we'll preach the gospel and we'll dream of that land someday where we'll never grow old. Can I challenge you folks? When your day's looking pretty dim and pretty dark, think about how beautiful it's going to be. Paul said to think on these things, these things which are lovely, these things which are right. And I find myself more and more having to just go back in my mind and remind myself of the promises that Jesus has made us. The promises that he's given us that this is not the end of the story. And that we have been reconciled to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. It says we were once alienated. We were once an enemy. But because of what Christ did, we are now alive in him. No longer an enemy. No longer alienated. But instead a child of God who can go into that holy of holy place that used to be reserved for the high priest. Now we also hold that office so that we can go in because of what Christ has done. And our hope is anchored behind the veil, the place where God resides. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's open to the book of Colossians. Chapter 2, we're going to read verses 6 through 10. By the way, I saw a young man, actually, he, as soon as I said Colossians, before I started doing the other stuff, he done popped up. I love that. These boys over here, they're ready. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10 says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we just pray, uh, Lord, that you will continue to speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. And we ask you, Lord, to, uh, uh, Lord, to just bless this time in the Word. And Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, our hearts will be, uh, Lord, open and ready to receive your Word. But not only that, but, but ready to, to, to allow it to do its work in our hearts. Lord, we pray this today in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I'm throwing stuff around back here. I'm using this towel because I forgot my hanky. 
And uh, I don't know where this towel come from. And, and that scares me a little bit. I know where it's been now. Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. I could have walked out the door and, you know, anyway. Like we do on job sites, which Sal says is disgusting. It happens. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And when we look at this passage in, in verse, starting at verse 6, of course it has that word there, therefore, right? And y'all know the goofy little saying, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself what it's there for, right? And so Paul says, therefore, as you receive. So what does that mean? Right? Therefore, as you receive Christ. Well, let's go back and read the first five verses and we'll get a better idea. He says for, in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance uh, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So when he says, therefore, as you receive Christ, what he's talking about is, therefore, as you have received, received Christ in truth. That's really what he's saying here, right? He's saying that you, know, that, that you uh, have received him, and he says, in order that you may not delude you with any plausible arguments. You see, what you don't understand is, you know, when you got to go back and start doing the research and find out what was really going on in Colossae, there was this group of what they called Gnostics. Gnostics, you know, Gnostic stands for knowledge. And there was a group of people there that were, that were, that were teaching uh, that true knowledge and enlightenment would, would come not from God's word. Matter of fact, they viewed uh, Yahweh or the God of Israel, they viewed him as a lesser God. That to really, to really have an experience that you're going to have to uh, have this enlightenment experience, this, this spiritual thing, right? Uh, a spiritual and emotional experience where you would receive additional knowledge that was greater than that knowledge that was being given uh, by the apostles, they, matter of fact, they also taught that, that matter was evil. And so since God, right, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and since he made matter, right, and, and matter, all matter was evil, so he was a lesser God. But to, to really, you need to, you need to really experience, you know, there's like, you, you, you may be happy with what you're hearing from the apostles, but what you need to really do is, is have a, this outer body, so to speak, a spiritual, emotional experience. And, and there's greater knowledge to be had that, that will enrich your life so much greater than that which you have received. And so that's why Paul says that, that to receive all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul was writing to them, listen, in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. It's in Him. And so that's why he says, therefore, as you receive Christ, therefore, as you received Him in truth, and understanding that these other people that are preaching this higher knowledge, matter of fact, we see we we actually saw a a, a uh, if you will a time where that actually happened in the United States, uh, where there were groups of people that rose out and said that they had a greater higher knowledge that they received an additional revelation. 
Right? And so that's where we have folks like Mormonism and things like that. They receive this additional revelation that is that and above which God had already given. Now I believe God can reveal things to us, but not a revelation that speaks higher than the Word of God that we already have. God can reveal things to you. I believe God revealed something to me in Baltimore this past week. And when I saw it, all of a sudden God put those things that I'd already seen together and He opened up my heart and my eyes that I may truly see His love for people. And that's a revealing, but that revealing is in, right, in harmony with God's Word. He didn't reveal something to me that is different. All that which is true knowledge, all that which is truth, is in Christ, in Christ alone. Matter of fact, the, the Reformers, when you go back to Reformation, they talked about sola de Christa, right, Christ alone. Sola Scriptura, in the Scriptures alone. Because it's important we understand that. Because anything that can be revealed that is true will be revealed in Christ. Why? Because Christ is truth. Christ defines truth. Christ defines good. He says it's good. A lot of times people say, well, you know, I, I love the argument, right? Well, I, I can tell you, how do, you know, I don't believe there is a God. Why? Well, because there's evil in the world. Well, how would you even know evil existed if it were not good? And who told you that it was good, sir? How did you know that it was good? Well, I just know. So you're saying that God's law written on the hearts of men, as Romans says, you're actually testifying to the fact that there are morals that are within us as human beings that were written on our hearts from the Creator who made us in His image, sir. So I tell you the fact that you actually say there's good and that you see that there's evil is a testament to a God because that does not come through evolution. People want to use the fact there's evil in the world to say that there is no God, but all they're doing is proving that one does exist. Because the only way we can all come back to a center moral or set of morals is through a creator. Because I don't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter what country you come from, you ask someone if it's, if it's wrong to steal, they will tell you yes. Is it wrong to murder? Yes. Is it wrong to take your neighbor's wife? Yes. All of those things defined by God. And no matter what country you go through, those morals exist because they're written on the hearts of men and women. And without good, you cannot have evil. And so there is no greater revelation that we could receive that hasn't already been given by Christ. And His Word that we have as a treasure. There are some mysteries and there are some things that we will not know until we get to heaven. And at, even at that point, I don't know. Some people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this. I don't know. Maybe we get to heaven, we'll just know. How about this? How about when I get to heaven, I'll be so glad I got in. I won't care. <laughs> Huff, didn't you have some questions? I don't matter. I'm in, man. I'm in. I ain't no, taking no chance of getting out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm in. I ain't asking nothing. Uh-uh. Huff, you got something? Mm -mm. But it's amazing we live in a culture today that's just like this Colossian culture. There are Gnostics out here to say that there's greater things that we can learn. Listen, all the things that we're learning greater through science, all it does is point back to a creator. All it does is point back to a central 
being, if you will, we call him God, but it comes back to a designer. All the, all the math that we're learning and all this crazy, it all points back to a creator, one who's designed this world to be as it is. How can you have an earth that is, that is so big and so massive moving around in a solar system, yet you tilt it one half a degree and suddenly life becomes inhabitable in certain places? That's not by accident. That's, that's the way it was designed. And it's still yet we have people that, that think that because they're learning more that they are above what we would consider a God, that they are further enlightened. Then we also have those people that are out here looking for some spiritual experience, some greater thing that they think that they could somehow get, you know, get closer to God without going through Christ. And they may have some kind of, they may have an experience, all right. I mean, I'll be honest, I've had some experiences in my life. Some of them might have been under the influence of some things, but it was an experience. But listen, ain't none of it ever been as good as my experience of the Holy Spirit and being indwelled with Him. None of it. So Paul's writing here and he's saying, listen. First off, he says in, in the first few verses that, I, you know, I, I want you to know the struggle I have for you because I care about you so much. And I don't want you to be taken away by, by these plausible arguments. And you know what plausible argument means? Is that it sounds like it could be true. Let's think about that. It sounds like it could be true. Plausible means possible. They, they give these possible arguments, these ones that sound like it has a ring of truth to it or sounds like it, well, it, that could, I mean, it does kind of make some kind of sense. And sometimes they give you more facts and figures and your brain can comprehend and you're like, oh, okay, maybe so. Plausible means it sounds as if it's possible. He says, I don't want you taken away by those things. I don't, I don't want you to be captured by the rhetoric. I don't want you to be captured by these thought processes that, that, that you think now somebody has is, is learned something that is above what everybody else knows. And so therefore, they're the only one that could actually help you. If, you're gonna, if there's any help, if there's any true knowledge or truth, it will be through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, so then therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus in truth, walk in him. And so today we want to look what it means to, 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 to walk in him. And, and Paul gave us some kind of specific terms, some ideas, if you will. We see some farming type of uh, or some, you know, some uh, type of, you know, planting or, or, you know, whatever you, I guess you plant stuff, that would be farming, right? But I was thinking about, I think, when I think about rooted, I think about trees, don't you? I think about trees. That's an arborist, right? That's what, that's what a tree guy does. So he gives you this kind of planting, farming kind of term. And then he gives this, this building term. And so we want to look at this, this planting and this building term. And so the reason I, I, I titled the message Preparing for the Storm is because that's what's coming, folks. If you don't, if you ain't seen, that's what's coming. And by the way, I haven't put all my marbles... Now stay with me. I'm not putting all the more, I'm not putting my trust, I'm not putting the future of anything in anybody else's hands other than Jesus Christ. I can tell you right now, my hope 
my hope of the future doesn't rely in any candidate. Because none of them are perfect, and I don't know how we end up with the two. Anyway, we got now, it just don't make sense. Right? It's kind of like going to the races to see two. Uh, uh, you remember Secretariat? You imagine going to a race to see Secretariat run, and all you get two Shetland ponies in the stall? You're like, take all day, watch them go one, one trip around the track. Well, that's kind of what I feel like we have these days. But a lot of people are like, man, I don't know. We got we to gotta make sure. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to do your civic duty. But there's enough of this stuff, by the way. Enough, as a matter of fact, uh, um, uh, Dr. David Platt wrote a book, Seven Things You Need to Know Before You Vote. I suggest you go get it. Because I've heard enough of the rhetoric of, well, you can't be a Christian if you're this, or you can't be a Christian if you're that. If you think one side's got it all right and the other side's got it all wrong, then you ain't watching the right stuff and you ain't reading the right things. Quit looking at the news organizations that are trying to tell you with it and get down to the real stuff. By the way, there's more than one issue at hand here too, by the way. There's something more than just abortion issue. There's something more than just that. There's a lot of other issues we need to look at. And we need to look at it through the lens of the Bible to say, what does God say that we're supposed to, how we're supposed to act about that? Or what are we supposed to do in those cases? I like what God wrote in Leviticus through, through Moses. And he told him, said, listen, he says, uh, he told them, uh, you know, their civic duties. And he also told them how to, how to, how to treat sojourners and foreigners. And they were supposed to treat them kindly and take them in. And you know why he said it? This is what he said. Because you yourself know what it was like to be foreign land in Egypt. How is it we can so quickly forget where we come from and we get on a different plane or level, if you want, and then we forget about all the other folks that are still, you know, struggling? So listen, folks, we've got to make sure in this day and age that we're looking at the real issues. I don't put my hope in a person. I put my hope in Jesus Christ. And regardless of who ends up on November 3rd, I'll be glad when it's over, by the way. But regardless of who ends up in that office, listen, Jesus Christ is still all authority. He still owns it all. And that's what verse 9 says, who is the head of all rule and authority. So I don't care who gets in the office. I'm going to tell you one thing. Jesus Christ has the last word. Amen. And one day this world is going to be over. And you'll see that our time here on earth is so short. We'll spend an eternity in the next one, in the next world, because we have an everlasting soul. And so I want us to look at these two terms this morning. Let's look at the term rooted. It means to strengthen with roots or to firmly fix or establish, to be thoroughly grounded. Now we understand what it means to be rooted just by simply about the parable of the sower and the seed. Found in Matthew chapter 13. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, this is starting is chapter 13, verse 19, the evil one comes and snatches away that has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately... He falls away. So you see this picture of this, of this seed being sowed on this rocky ground that has some really nice rich dirt on top. And so the seed goes in and instantly springs up. Happy about what they've heard. And that's in the hearts of people who they hear about Christ and they hear about all the things that Christ could do for him. All the things that God can do. He can make your life better. 
He, you know what? He makes the sky bluer and the grass greener. And all that is true, but he's so much more. God did not send His Son to come down across the Calvary so that we could just have this, this easy little life and that everything would be rainbows and unicorns. Matter of fact, Christ tells us that life in Him is much different, isn't it? He said that we must deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Him. Cross, an instrument of torture. Matter of fact, He says that if we follow Him, the world has hated Him, and because we love Him, the world will do what? Will hate us. And so a lot of people will hear about Christ and, and you know, oh man, I want that. I want God for myself and I really, I'm going to surrender to Him. But all they're really wanting is, is to say that they believe in hopes that God will fix the problems that they had in that moment. But when that time is over, listen, they ain't got no time for Him. Or if that issue doesn't get fixed and they'll say, well, God's not really who He says He is because I prayed to Him and He didn't do this or He didn't do that or He didn't do X, Y, or Z. Listen, He's not a genie in a bottle where you get three wishes. He's not a genie in a bottle that's just going to fix things for you. Matter of fact, a lot of time when we go through struggles and we go through trials, God is doing actually that. He's helping us get closer and be more like Him through the trials. That's why James said, count it all joy when you enter these trials. And so, but when I think about planting and being rooted, I, I think about trees. I was at my dad's the other day. Uh, waiting on uh, uh, Brother Jeff come up and to look at Dad's tractor. By the way, you have to ask him a story about that. They watched me almost flip it in front of him, but I'd already got his money, so I figured I'm just going to flip Jeff's tractor. Right? I wasn't flipping Dad's tractor. Dad'd be mad about that. I was going to flip Brother Jeff's tractor, but God held on to it and we didn't flip it. But it was a funny story. But I was up, Dad's, and and you know if you ever get up in the mountains where the trees are, you and the wind's blowing a little bit. You ever heard the trees creak? makes noise. I remember when I'd be a little kid outside and all of a sudden you'd be, you know, I'd be playing up by the edge of the woods up there and, and we had an old vine. Y'all remember anybody swung on a vine? Right? Old vine from a tree. And as you get bigger and, and the weight of your caboose gets bigger, anybody ever pulled that vine clean out of the tree when you were swinging on it? That ain't no fun. Apparently I exceeded OSHA's limit on that vine. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget it because I landed on a rock. Right? And uh, that was no fun. But anyway, I'd be playing up there when I was a little kid. And I was like, you know, maybe five or six years old. And mom and dad let me out there. They could always, as long as I was with it, I shot, you know, and playing in the woods. That's back when kids used to go outside and you didn't have to be around them every second, you know. And uh, I was out there playing and the wind blew. And all, all of a sudden I heard this noise, this creak and stuff. And I thought a bear was after me. It had to have been a bear climbing up a tree or something. And I thought there's a bear, and I took off running. Well, I called it running. I don't know what y'all call it. You ever seen a fat little kid run? It's, it was kind of funny, I'm sure. I had a little short legs. I didn't, grow, I didn't get my height until I got into you know, junior high school, almost to high school, before I started getting any height. And thank the Lord that I did. Because you imagine this same weight shorter? I look like a weeble wobble with legs. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Kids will be Googling that. Weeble wobbles. Y'all remember that commercial? Weeble wobble, but they don't fall down. Y'all remember that? That was awesome. Anybody ever had the punching clown? Anybody remember them blow up the punching clown? Oh, they were awesome. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So I heard this noise, and I took off running back to the house. I said, my, there's a bear up there. Ain't no bear up there, boy. What would you hear? I said, I heard this noise. So there, mom come out. Mom come out like she was going to attack the bear. Got her house coat around her. Just, let's go see, son. I'm like, mom's going to fight a bear. 
It's going to be awful. I'm going to tell the story at her funeral. Mom went out there, and we were sitting there. She was, tell me when you hear the noise, son. She knew what it was. All of a sudden, the wind blew, and here come that creaking noise. There it is. Here's the bear, Mom. We got to get Son, that's just the wind blowing the trees, and the trees will creak because they sway a little bit. And he says, them trees sway, and things expand and contract. They'll make a little bit of noise. Ain't nothing going to hurt you. Then I remember as I got older, hanging in the woods was a place of peace for me. You guys... A lot of guys go in the woods to hunt. I never was good at killing nothing. And I didn't really like it. But I sure did like going in the woods. And I can remember coming home from, from junior high school and upset about some things. And, and I remember just going up in the woods and sitting on a rock up on top of the ridge there and uh, just listening to the noise of the wind blowing through the trees and watching the trees sway back and forth. Isn't that majestic? It's majestic to watch the big, big old oak trees and poplar trees just swaying back and forth, creaking a little bit as they go, but still yet straight and tall. And then when the wind stops, there they are, just fixed straight up. How beautiful. You know what I thought? I wrote this down in my notes. There ain't nothing majestic about a tree laying on its side. There's nothing majestic about a tree that's been uprooted and fallen over. Matter of fact, I find it kind of sad. But when the wind blows against those trees and they creak a little bit and they sway a little bit, but yet they still stand tall, that's what Paul is getting to about being rooted. You see, the thing is, we look at those trees and we look how majestic the tree is, how tall and how big are its branches. But think about what's below the soil that you can't see. See, the only way a tree can stand against the wind, the only way the tree can stand against the storm is to make sure that its roots go nice and deep and grow large. I mean, if you ever, if you ever actually dig around a tree, I, I remember working with actually Jeannie's cousin, Homer, and, and we would, uh, instead of cutting trees down, what he would do is take a backhoe and dig around the tree, and then he would push it over with the backhoe. I said, why do you do it like that? He said, because, listen, when we dig around the roots and we finally take away the roots being fixed to the ground, when we can finally get them loose and then we put pressure on the tree, the tree will uproot itself. He said, because, son, let me tell you something. He says, if we had to cut the tree off and then try to get the stump out of the roots, we'd be here digging all day. He said, but once you get that roots and you get them loose, the weight of the tree will bring it all up out of the ground. And I'll never forget that, watching him do that. But, you know, sometimes we go up against a big old tree, and he wouldn't dig right here where the trunk was at. He'd be out here 12 feet, digging way out yonder here. And I'm like, did them, roots, did them roots go that big? He said, son, them roots are going further than what I'm digging. He said, I'm using a backhoe bucket to cut some of them along the way because I don't want to go out any further. He said, but you would be surprised at how far these roots go out. He said, because it's got to hold the weight of that tree. Look how big that tree is. Look how much. He said, man, think about how much root it takes to get that tree to stand and stay there when the storms come and the winds blow against it. He said, you know, in the wintertime, it ain't as bad because you ain't got all the leaves. He said, but when you get a tree that's got all the leaves on it, he said, think about how much resistance that is when the wind blows against it. Without them big old deep roots off, he said, that tree would just go right over. He says, we're using nature to our advantage because we know that. Now we can dig around this thing way out here and get them roots all loose, and then we'll be able to push that tree over. So now we ain't got to dig all day to get a stump out. We threw the tree over and got the stump and roots out all in one shot. 
He was a smart guy. Man, that really says something, doesn't it? You see, so the question becomes today, are you, what, what are you rooted in? And how well are you rooted? You see, when the, when the resistance comes, without deep roots, you're not going to be able to stand the storm, and you're going to fall over like a, like a house of cards. You see, the fact is, is like when Sal and I sat there at the end of February, and I remember us waiting on a doctor to come in and to tell us how things going. We thought, sure, it was just going to be a little something, something, and maybe she's going to have to take some medicine for a while or something like that. And then instead, we come and, and we find out that she's got a tumor and she's got cancer, and we got to go get this thing out, got to go through treatment. And listen, I'm going to tell you, when that stuff hits down around your ears, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not rooted, you'll instantly start to question, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you letting this happen? Instead, because we are rooted, not that I'm good, not this sounds good, but I'm going to tell you, but because we've been through other storms and we've learned this along the way, that when those things happen, we don't ask God why. We say, God, help me please make it through the storm. God, I want my roots to be good and deep because I know that the wind's going to blow hard for a while, but I want to be able to withstand that. And so the only way I can do that is to get my roots deep into God's word and hang to his promises and realize that nothing will ever cause God to forsake me. And to not love me. My tough trial has nothing to do about whether God loves me. Matter of fact, the tough trial may be simply because he does love me. And that's difficult. And it gets, it gets hard. But when your roots are in deep, it's not a matter of question, God, why do you do this? You know, why did it have to happen to me? That's what really gets people. Why does that have to happen to me? Like, it's okay for it to happen to you. You ever heard anybody say that? Why is God letting this happen to me? I'm like, what's, what's good about you that's not good about somebody else? Why not you? By the, by the way, you can't really build a church saying that stuff, by the way. I found that the hard way. Right? But that's really the question. When someone says, you know, why does this have to happen to me? Well, what makes you better than the next person? The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Why not me? The fact is, is God has already promised me eternal life. Anything else he gives me above that, man, listen, that's just, that's just whipped cream on top. That's just a little bit of extra. He's already promised me eternal life. No matter what I go through in this life, listen, I will be made whole in eternal life and I'll live with him eternally, amen? And listen, I'm going to have a glorified body as if this ain't glorified enough, amen? I'm going to have a glorified body. My chest will be back up where it belongs. I'll have hair. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to look like, but I, I hope I look like Fabio. Big old hair. Daniel come in. Did y'all see his hair this morning? Good. He come out and said, Lord, look at that. He said, I call it my mane. <laughs> or you could have Bobby have stripes in your head. I don't know what that's all about. I told Bobby this morning, now you remind me of how goofy I looked in the 80s. <laughs> we'll cut that out of the video, Bobby. We won't let, I won't let your mom see that. <laughs> don't, don't need that problem. <laughs> It'll be all right. That's right. It's live. Hopefully she's watching. But if I'm not like Fabio, I want to be like JJ. Y'all remember him? Or Meadowlark Lemon. I, you know what I'm saying? I just want a big old one I could hide stuff in. Remember Meadowlark Lemon on the Globetrotter cartoon? He had so much hair, he hid stuff in it. I, these young people are like, I have. Who's Harlem Globetrotters? Meadowlark, man, y'all got to look that up. That was good stuff. Rooted and grounded. 
the storms, I promise you, are going to come. And if you're not prepared by making sure that you're being rooted in God's word, what does that mean? What does it mean? You know, so how, how do I root myself of? By prayer and by reading of God's word. Now listen, I'm talking about true reading, not just devotions, but a true study of God's word. And if you're not sure how to do that, listen, Kevin and I, we'd love to talk to you about it. We've done classes on it, to be quite honest with you, and we'll do another one. But if you want to know what that looks like, and so sometimes, you, sometimes I would do a study on a certain book, and sometimes I'll do a study on a topic. But either way, dig more than just read, but truly dig into the Word and see what God says about these things that you care about. I remember my mom, when she was finally told that she had about a year to live, my mom was on a quest to study about what happens to you when you die. Now, she knows that she was going to be in the presence of God, but no, what really happened? What's the real process, as much as we can know in God's Word? And studied that because she wanted to know, but not only just to know, but to also strengthen her faith. Why? Because the storm was there. And the best way to weather that storm was to know what was going to happen so that she could remind herself of the promises of God so that when the enemy come knocking on her door saying, you, you sure God loves you? You're going to die. Do you really think about, I mean, where do you think you're going to go? Do you, do you really believe in God? Do you really believe in heaven? Do you really think that's going to happen? But listen, when we've dug into God's word and we know that we are firmly attached to it and know that it's real and that it is the truth and the only truth that matters and it is the real truth, nothing else is truth that goes against it, That'll help you weather the storm. Doesn't mean the storm ain't going to hurt. and Doesn't mean you ain't going to creak a lot. The big old trees, the bigger the tree, the more they creak. The more leaves and limbs and stuff they got, the more they're going to sway. And listen, them trees can bend a lot more than you think. And sometimes we'll be bent. Paul said he was bent to the point that they thought they were on the brink of death. But it was to show God's power is what he said. He said we were pressed beyond measure. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and God is love. This is true love. This is agape love. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. So one who is rooted in Christ is one who has dug in and firmly attached herself to Christ so that everything that holds them up and it's, has its origin in the truth of Christ. That means what I believe about my purpose has to be rooted in Christ. What I believe about things, uh, trials and tribulations that's going to come upon me, what I understand about that has to be rooted in Christ. So when I read God's word and it says that these trials will come and these trials help, uh, help us to be able to develop patience and grow stronger, and that every trial has a purpose so that when that trial comes and the wind starts blowing and this thing starts to wave around a little bit, I'm not shaking in my faith. Why? Because the Bible already told me this was going to happen. When I'm rooted in God's word, the trials when they come don't surprise me. Listen, doesn't make them fun, but they don't surprise me. Some people get surprised like they couldn't believe this is going. I can't believe this is happening. And sometimes we are taken back like that. And I've said those very words this year. But when I finally catch my breath and I look at God's word, it comes back to understanding that these things will happen. And that who am I that I would be above it? 
But I do know this. God's word says it'll happen, and he says that he will sustain me. And he'll sustain you. We've got to be rooted. One who is rooted in Christ, they can't even be shaken when they're under the threat of death. One who's rooted in Christ puts their relationship with Christ above all others. And so when opposition arises and a choice must be made, Christ will be chosen without reservation. Think about that. One who is rooted chooses the ways of Christ over behavior that promotes itself. So that when we're rooted and grounded in Christ, whether it be the threat of death or the threat of loss of a relationship or anything else, listen, one who is rooted in Christ will always choose Christ. Always. Why? Because in Him is where fullness dwells. Listen, my wife, my wife is the best thing on two feet. And I love her. And my life is a lot more full because she's in it. But even that beauty of that relationship I have with my wife, there would still be a hole, there would be something missing without Christ. Amen? I love her, and she, she, does, she, she completes me in so many ways, good ways. Like when you look at our relationship, you look at us as a couple, anything bad is probably on my side, right? Anything good is probably on her side. And she makes my life full, but she doesn't make it as full as Christ. Even, even with her, without Christ, something's missing in my life. Now to have Christ and to have a beautiful spouse as God has designed it all the way back in the garden when he says, is that good for man to be alone? Listen, I, I get to experience all of that. The fullness of Christ and the fullness of that relationship as he's designed it for. Amen? But even when it comes to relationships and understanding of those and how they work, it's all got to be rooted in Christ. Because when we live our life and it's rooted in Christ, we know that he won't forsake us, and we know that it works. And so there's been times, even in our relationship, where one of us was living in a way that, it, that is, you know, as it is in the Scriptures, I should say. There are times that I loved her like Christ loved the church, and, well, not so much back. But then there's been times that she has loved and respected me, as Ephesians 5 says, and I wasn't loving her like Christ. But see, what happens a lot of times in couples is, well, he's not loving me like Christ, so I'm not going to love and respect him. Or if she's not going to love and respect me, I'm not going to love her like Christ loved the church. Listen, that can't be. That's not someone who's rooted in Christ. Someone's rooted in Christ says, I'm going to do my part, even if the other doesn't. Why? So that I may win the heart of the other, not just for me, but also for Christ. If you don't believe that, go to 1 Peter and read when he talks about uh, a godly woman being able to win her husband with her conduct. And by the way, I experienced that in my life because my mother did that very thing. My dad was, a, he was an alcoholic that uh, had some issues. And my mother lived before him in such a way that won him to Christ. And now my mother's in heaven and my dad looks forward to the day that he gets to see her there. Because he's going to the same place. Why? Because now he is a child of Christ as well. Had it not been the conduct of my mother, I don't know that he would have ever saw the beauty of Christ. 
we've got to be rooted. Everything we do has to be rooted in God's word because that is what works. When we go outside of that and try to do it our way because we either think our way is better or easier, we'll find just how little we know. That's rooted. Now, let's talk about built up. What does it mean to be built up? He's kind of hitting the same nail with two different hammers. To be built up and established in Christ is to have everything that we build our life upon to be built upon the foundation of Christ. So when we talk about being rooted, right, that root is having that, 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 that firm fixing into the soil with those deep roots. And those deep roots are anchored into God's word. And to be built up into him is now to do everything in our life based on what God's word says to do as he has told us to do it, whether it be our worship, our relationships, our careers, our civic duties, the things that we call right or wrong, the things that we call good or bad, they all need to be based on the word of God, not what we think or what we feel. I've seen people look me dead in the eye and say, Huff, I understand what you're saying, and I understand that's what the Bible says, but I think And guess what? They're still caught up in the same junk and their life is still miserable. Why? Because they're still going on what they think as somehow they know better than what God's word. If you actually listen to what God's word says and say, I understand that's what it says, but I think, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do for that person. And if you're one of those, there's nothing I can do for you. Because God's word says it and that's what to do. And if you think that there's something different going to work, well, you can go ahead and try. But I'd rather listen to the one who created the world, who created us in his image and even created even relationships for us to enjoy. Now, this built up, when we think about building up, we think about building on a sure foundation. And so being rooted and having a solid foundation are really one and the same. That's what I said. He's hitting the same nail with two different hammers so that we get it. We understand it. It's not a totally different concept. It's just a different way of looking at it. Some people may not understand farming and what it is to have roots. Maybe you know more about building. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus told another story. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I think about them big old trees again. You ever seen a big old tree fall? Man, you talking about a boom. Feels like the ground shakes and everything when it happens. So this is kind of, again, going over now to the building section, right? So listen, if we build on a firm foundation, I think of uh, um, Dr. Vernon McGee when when his show comes on, how firm the foundation, right? Uh, You've got to just listen to a song. I really didn't do it any justice, but it's a really cool song. How firm the foundation, really old hymn. And I love the words of that. And so, you know, being rooted in deep, having those roots in really deep is the same as having this firm foundation. He said, it's like the wise man, the one who hears the God's word and does them. He, that's what Jesus said. These words, the one who hears those words of mine and does them. So it's not only does they listen, but they actually employ it, right? They actually put it to work in their life. It's not one thing for me to just say things, but it's for you to actually hear God's word and actually put it to work. Not just listen and say, well, I'll go out here and live my life like I want to until next week and I'll listen 
listen to another Arabist jibber-jabber, and I'll keep doing the same thing, but I'll feel better because I went to church. That ain't going to get you nowhere. Matter of fact, it's going to make you miserable. And sooner or later, you're going to go to church no more anyway, because why go? Because it ain't making a difference in my life. He says, but one who hears the word and does them, the one who hears and actually lets the word actually work in their life and they live in a way that God prescribes, he said, that's like a wise man who goes to build a house and he builds it on a rock because the rock's not going to move. It's a solid foundation. And when you fix your house on a solid foundation, the winds are going to come, the storms are going to blow, but the house is going to remain there. Why? Because it is on the rock. Amen. And when he told Peter, he says, Peter, he said, who am I? He says, thou art the Christ. He said, you're right, Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. It wasn't Peter wasn't the rock himself, but the, found, the, the, the truth of what Peter said, that he was the Christ. Upon this truth, I will build my church. And he is the rock and the chief cornerstone. Amen. When we build our life on Christ, the solid rock, this firm foundation, if I build upon it and everything that I, that I put on top of that foundation based on what he has said, based on what he teaches, based on how he leads me with his Holy Spirit. Listen, that house is going to stand. The storms are going to come. And it's going to be rough sometimes. And we may have a few shingles blew off here and there. And we may hear the wind whistling through the windows for a while. And the door may rattle a little bit, but the house is going to stand. He says, but, if, but the one who hears and doesn't do is like one who builds a house on a sand. Anybody ever walked out into the beach right to where the water is coming up and down and stand on it and feel the sand move underneath your feet? It's creepy. That's why we ought to wear red ring work boots to the beach and not wear them flip-flops that you all people wear and all that stuff. But I, I, I'm not a big beach person, obviously. They try to roll me back in every time I go out, so I just got to be got to watch that. But I just remember standing there and just feeling the sand literally move. And I, I, I for one time the water come in and went out, and I started wiggling my feet a little bit. And you wiggle your feet, you can literally feel the sand just come out almost in chunks at some point, right? And I'm like, wow. Here I am, all 189 pounds of me. That was the left foot, Chris. <laughs> but the right down too is a little bit more. Put all this weight on, on these two feet. And how just that water going in and out could move the sand under my weight. Isn't that crazy? Under my weight, that sand could move that easily. Just with the water going in and out. Imagine when the waves really start crashing. When the, when the tide comes in and the, you know, and, the, and the wind picks up and the waves get bigger. Just how much more would that sand move that much quicker? It was a nice calm day the day that I was doing this. And I just never forget thinking, this must be what it's like when you build a house on the sand. It's just ever moving. By the way, the truth, the truth of the world is ever changing. Do you ever notice that? Right? The world believes in a relative truth. It's relative to you. Right? So it's what you see is true. Whatever you think is right. Now think about that. Sometimes people are good moral people, and so them thinking what's right may not be really wild and crazy, but then you get some people that are just a little more out there, and, and they define right and wrong in a way different way than what you and I do. And so that sand is like the relative truth of today. It's always moving, right? Something's right today is wrong tomorrow. 
right? Because it's, it's, it's not solid. It's, it's based and it moves around based on how people feel about things or how they see things or whether they got caught doing something or not. Isn't that the way it works today? You think something until you get caught saying something else. Well, that was then. But now. Right? God's truth is solid. It never moves. What he said was true then, it's true now, and it'll be true forevermore. Isn't that what you want to build your house on? Isn't that what you want to establish? Because the world's going to tell you, well, this is right today, but later on they're going to find out, well, no, we were wrong about that. Or people change what they think is right or wrong based on what's going on in their lives at the moment. I was telling, we were talking up here earlier this morning, I was talking about, uh, well, I actually came, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias, and we are talking about, you know, God's moral law. I'm talking about love and relationships. And in today's society, we hear something like, um, you know, if somebody loves somebody, it should be okay, right? Isn't that what we hear? The Bible is very clear. We go all the way back to Genesis, right? He made man and a woman. And do you know, while there may be some people that have these other thoughts about what they are, do you realize when it comes down to biologically, there's only two genders and two genders alone? There is no other gender. We've made up some stuff, but when I take your blood, if I don't look at you and all I do is draw your blood, you're one of two things. You're either a male or you're a female. Amen? That's it. That's God's truth. You can make up any other kind of gender you want, and I think they got like, I don't know, they got, they got a bunch of them now. And it's based on how they feel or what they want to feel or what they want to do or, or, or insecure, made up on all kinds of things. But when bottom line, I would draw your blood, biologically you're one or the other. That's it. There is nothing else. And God says that marriage is designed for a man and a woman. Only with a man and a woman can you have and make and create another being. Now we know that that created being comes through God who allows it to happen. But still yet, the only way a child can be made is what? Through a male and a female. No matter what you choose to be or choose to do outside of that, it doesn't matter. This is the way children are brought into the world. Why? Because there's only two genders. That's God's truth. And he said sex was designed to be between a man and a woman in marriage. In marriage being a covenant. A covenant with one another. That covenant is not based on love. Because there's been some times that... I didn't love Sal in a lovey-feely kind of way because I was mad at her. And there's times she didn't love me in that way. So when it came to feeling love, we didn't feel love, but we made a covenant. And that covenant love says even though you're not loving, even though I don't feel that those, those loving eros, if you will, love, I have a covenant love for you because we made that promise to each other. That's what marriage is designed to be. A covenant between a man and a woman for life. And that sex inside of that is whatever you two want it to be. But it's designed to be inside of that marriage and marriage alone. Now listen, I can apply that to all people groups of all times. Amen? Now think about this. Right? If I say that marriage is between a man and a woman and sex is to be designed to be inside of that marriage... In other words, that covenant's made, and then after that, you two are free to romp around like teenagers if you want. 
Although, the older you get, less romping. You hurt something. You can't go to work limping the next day and people ask why you're limping. You can't tell them stories. Just saying. It happens. But it's beautiful. But today, today says this, what? They're, the truth of today is, well, if you love somebody, it should be okay. Isn't that what they say? If two people love one another, well, first off, love's subjective. How many ever thought you was in love till you saw the next person come along? When I was a teenager, go to the beach, my Lord, I fell in love five times a day. Oh, I'm in love. Oh, I'm really in love now. Oh, I'm really, I think I love two people. There's a country song, trying to love two people is like a ball and chain. You ever heard a song? Just in and out. People fall in and out of love all the time. No covenant, just love. Listen, love is subjective. Right? But that's what people want to say today. It's based on love. Well, love is subjective, number one. That's a problem with love. Secondly, is you cannot apply that evenly across all people groups. What do I mean? All right, so let's say it's two consenting adults. Two consenting males that say they love each other. Okay. All right. So you're applying the love rule to that. Since they love each other, it should be okay. All right. What happens when one of them is 30 years old and the other one's 11? Well, they love each other. It's wrong. Even when between a man and a woman, what, what happens if the young girl is 11 and, and the guy is 40? Well, they're in love. You see how weak that argument is? The argument's weak because it's a non-argument. It's not based on love. What we see about God's design for sex and marriage is based on Jesus' truth. The truth found in the scriptures that God has set down from the beginning of time. And notice how, that, how sex designed between a man and a woman in marriage can be applied to all people groups. Why? Because, listen, if you're not old enough to get married, you shouldn't be getting married anyway, right? And so, therefore, right, you're still within the law, right? Sex is designed between a man and a woman in marriage. Two people that aren't enough to, old enough to get married, well, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be doing those things. Right? Because you're outside of marriage, you're not old enough to get married. And so I can apply that evenly across all people groups. Because there are laws in all the countries about marriage and when you can get married and the ages and all that stuff. And so we can apply all this evenly. But when it comes to love, it's so subjective and relative. You can't apply that. And the thing is, is love is just a feeling anyway, and a lot of people fall in and out of it. There's been times, again, my son and I didn't feel like we loved each other, but we had a covenant of love between us. I may have not been loving her in the way things were going at the moment, but I did love the covenant we made. And I know that I do love her. It's just sometimes we as individuals become unlovable for a few moments. We become tough and irritable, and, but we always come back around, don't we? Most of the time it was me being unlovable, not her. But see, God lays a firm foundation for us. and we build upon that, things will be beautiful. The world tries to come in and say, you don't understand truth. You all just want to have this one fixed truth and you're alienating people. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're not alienating. God doesn't alienate anybody. He loves everybody. He sent his son, not willing to anybody from perish. He's long-suffering, keeps his promises. 
The problem is sometimes people may struggle in a certain area and they think because they have that struggle, because they're not allowed to do what it is they want to do, that somehow they're not being loved. That couldn't be further from the truth. It may be a same-sex attraction to one person, but for over here, for another person, it may be anger issues. Or maybe we all have issues that when God's word, when we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to God's word, we find ourselves on the one end of the, of, of the scale. Amen. So, with you too, right? Am I the only one that when I weigh myself against God's word, right? I find myself wanting in certain areas, right? I find myself that, that when I compare myself to God's word, I, I find that I, that I am so far away from what he says is right. And, and, and that it's a struggle. We all struggle against that. We're all going to have something that we struggle with that is sin according to the scriptures. But God loves us, but he knows whether we're trying to live for him and whether we truly love him or not. He knows when we're truly building our life on the firm foundation. And so we are to make sure we are established, rooted, and building upon the foundation of God. Often things collapse in people's lives simply because they were built on personal desire and not the foundation of Christ and His plan for our lives. Who we are and what our purpose is is founded in the Creator by Him. My purpose was created by God, and the only way that I truly find my purpose and find myself finally living in peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And when I live to be what He made me to be, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-5, through it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are the living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are precious stones. He's building a church with us. But he is the chief stone. And what we knew needs to be built on him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, And no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, Now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has been built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but as through fire. What is he saying there? Listen, when we build upon Christ the chief cornerstone, we know that we can't go wrong, because he loves us and he is the foundation, he is truth. Now listen, not everything I do is always, I try to make sure that what I do is always purposed in Him, but let's all face it, sometimes we all just get ahead of ourselves and do things our way. And you know what He says? That's like building on that foundation with hay or wood. And when, it's, when He's tested it with fire, it's going to be burned up, but you yourself should be saved. What is that saying? Not every area of my life is perfect. Not every, every area of my life have I, have I been able to conquer things. And so while there may be some areas in my life that I'm truly building with precious stones and metals, right? So the things that I'm doing are all based on the foundation of Christ. Those other areas that I struggle in, you know, those areas over there that, I, that I, I'm not allowing Christ to really speak into my life about, in those areas, you know what? I'm, I'm, there's not going to really be any fruit, if you will, in those areas of my life, those areas that I struggle with. And that's what he's talking about here. There's some areas that we do really well and we're building with precious stones, but in those other areas where we struggle with, we're like building with, with hay, 
something that burns up really easily because it's not really strong because we're not strong in that area, but yet still Christ loves us and we are saved. And he said that we would be abounding in, th- I'm almost done, abounding in thanksgiving. Being thankful to God re- regardless of the circumstance because everything that happened has a purpose and all that God does is good. So he said that we're to be rooted, built up, and established just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now thanksgiving's coming up, so I'm not going to do a big thing on thanksgiving. But here's, here's the question. How can we not be thankful seeing what Christ has done? Amen. How can we not be thankful seeing that Christ gave his life for me? How can we not be thankful? Things in our life may not be perfect. I may not have everything I want, but I got everything I need. Paul said, I've learned how to be content. I was content when I had a lot. I've been content with nothing. Being content because God knows what I need and he'll make sure I have it when I need it. But seeing how Christ has allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross for us and gave us eternal life through faith. I didn't have to earn it. I couldn't work to get it. He gave it to me freely. How can I not be thankful? Are you thankful today? Are you building your life upon the foundation of Christ? Are your roots deep? Because the storm's coming. The storms are going to come. Some of the storms are already here for some of you. Some of you are in the storm, the thick of the storm. Matter of fact, it doesn't look like there's any end. You ever seen the storm, when the skies start to lighten up, you're like, I'm glad this is going to be over soon. Some of you may not see the skies lighten up at all, just dark skies. You may be in the middle of the storm. But listen, when we are firmly rooted in him, or when we have built upon his foundation, which is the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, listen, then the storms are going to come, the winds are going to hit, but we ourselves will not collapse. Why? Not because we are something, but because we have anchored ourselves to Jesus Christ. So verse 8 of the original passage says, See that no one takes you by captive philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So it comes down to this litmus test. Here's the litmus test of how we're living in Christ. Am I truly rooted and grounded in Him? Am I established in Him? Is is my life built upon His truth? Jesus said that if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Well, how's that a litmus test? Because you know as well as I do that as soon as I say that, your mind starts thinking about your life and you know what areas you're suffering in. Amen? You all got an area that you're suffering in right now. Whether it be relationships, whether it be something you're dealing with, like I deal with anger sometimes. I got anger issues sometimes. Man, listen, sometimes, sometimes the fuse, my fuse, is like saturated with water and you can't light it. You know what I'm saying? You could put fire to it. You could get a blowtorch put on that wick, and it won't, it won't light. But then sometimes that fuse is so short, and all it takes is one little spark, 
bam, I am lit off like a rocket. That's what I deal with. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture, storms are going to come. The wind's going to blow. But am I anchored in Him? Because when I'm not anchored in Him, that's when that fuse gets real short, and I go off like a rocket. And you know what? Everything else around me collapses, and I got to go back and apologize to so many. Anybody ever do? You just got to go apologize to people that didn't act like a preacher, didn't act like a Christian. Didn't act, and I got to go apologize, and it's like, it's like starting over again. Maybe your area is something different. Maybe you're struggling with, a belief that, uh, with believing that Christ loves you. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling with believing that God absolutely loves you so much that he would give his son for you. Maybe you struggle with believing that you have value and that you have worth. Maybe you're struggling with believing that you have a purpose. Maybe you're struggling with an attraction that's, that's against the scriptures. It may be a person. It may be money. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you do. Because as soon as I started talking about it, your mind started racing. Just go, would you stand to your feet?